0: Hi, I'm Sarah and I'm Tony and this is Making It in Asheville,
1: a podcast where the two of us sit down with local Asheville creators, artists and entrepreneurs and talk about what they are making and how they are making it in Asheville.
0: And in this episode, we are interviewing PJ Jackson. He is the owner and one of the head butchers of Chop Shop Butchery in Asheville.
1: And the Chop Shop Butchery is a whole animal butcher shop in Asheville, North Carolina. It's just down the street from us uh, where we live today. And they take local steer and pigs and chickens and they process them down in their facility. Um, It is a really special place, one that we saw when we first visited um, and thought it was remarkable. Um, And honestly, in the first month that we've lived here, I've worked at the Chop Shop behind the counter, front of house, not as a uh, butcher, um, because it's selling a product that I fundamentally believe in and I'm kind of captivated by. And so sitting down with PJ to hear more of the story and unpack like all of the details, I thought was really, really powerful.
0: Yeah. And we also learned a lot about to uh, meat and butchery itself uh, we talked with PJ about some of the things that you should know when you're buying meat to some of the things you should look for and got his advice on you know where should you go? Should you want to learn more about Butchery yourself? Uh, so it was very interesting for both of us. Um, Tony, who knows a lot about me and has a lot of experience working at the Chop Shop now, and then from my point of view, uh, who I don't know maybe as much. Uh, so it was very interesting to learn uh, both sides. Uh,
1: also worth kind of noting is that this is a really exciting episode for us because tomorrow. Uh, the Chop Shop becomes our first Asheville client. And so, being able to tell the story today before they're really, I guess, a customer of ours um, is really exciting. And it's a story that we bought into as visitors. Uh, and it's one that we still stand beside and are excited to share. So, without further ado, episode number nine with PJ Jackson of the Chop Shop Butchery in Asheville. Uh, please enjoy. open-ended how are we here today
2: yeah um I definitely have childhood memories of butcher shops butchering animals my family grew up fishing and hunting cool I it's so disconnected to me of what I do now I can't say that I had any reason to do why I'm here um and why I do this for a living uh, I spent most of my summers and a couple winters um, all the way up until I was 18 years old uh, in southern Vermont. And there was a corner grocery store in, in, in Jacksonville, Vermont, a couple miles north of the Mass border. And there was a, there was a butcher there, long-haired guy, who whistled all the time. From the moment you walked in the store to the moment you left, unless he was speaking, he whistled. Uh, and it drove me absolutely crazy. Like, to this day, like, I get a little weirded out when I hear Hear people people whistle. whistle. Wow. Um, But that's absolutely where our family got our meat every single time, not from a supermarket. Uh, And there was a supermarket. We lived kind of in the woods, so the supermarket was maybe 12 miles away. This little corner market was a couple miles away. Um, We did that. We raised uh, hogs there uh, on the property. Um, We got four every spring uh, we cooked one of them that night and threw a a party Uh, so I I remember cooking whole hogs in the ground when I was seven Uh, and every year up until I finished up with high school uh, in the spring and we always named the other three ham, bacon, and sausage and they lived in the woods and we fed them scraps and and we had a friend that worked at an ice cream place so they ate a lot of Ben and Jerry's so they were like a manufacture for them. So, you know, I can't say it's anything like the hogs that we work with nowadays. They eat a lot of scraps. Um but that was part of it. We didn't do the butchery. Um they came and picked them up on a trailer. Um and we had them processed and then kept in a freezer uh, f- through the next year. Um
0: That's so that's really interesting because I think most of us growing up never had an experience where we were so close to the food that we ate um especially animals um do you remember the first time where you were like oh this is an animal almost like our pet and now we're eating it and did you feel saddened by it or were you just Uh, it it was what it was I mean
2: not really because it was just kind of there when I came around like when I started whatever it's called realizing i was alive it was already there um i think the only time it ever crossed my mind was when uh my dog died and then like my dog and then my pet and then like a hog and a pet like uh, then all of a sudden just for a minute but i still don't think that had anything to do with that's what so I didn't interesting know.
1: Yeah. yeah i think Sarah, you're onto something cuz that made me think about my childhood and you know i don't know if, if it was ever clear that the food we were eating was once an animal. Like I remember going, there's one specific moment. I remember going crabbing with my dad, who's not an outdoorsman at all. (laughs) So just the (laughs) idea that my dad was on this boat with us and we were crabbing. uh, And then I, I caught a crab or my brother caught a crab. So my dad grabs our fishing pole and he's not a fisher. So like, this is all, we're all in uncharted territories and he goes to bring it onto the boat and grab it and then somehow it jumps off the line which crabs do when they're pulled out of the water i guess and it lands in the boat and we all just freak out about this crab being in the boat <laughs> and that I, you know that idea that we were i was afraid of this animal and i also knew that i liked to eat it was probably the first time that i can think of of being present and aware of like, oh, these are crabs, and crabs, like, crabs like are the things... You How old were you? Oh, my God, 18. <laughs> uh, I'd still probably freak out if a crab jumped off of a line right now, but um, I don't know, six, seven? Like a kid, kid, like a proper little boy. Yeah. And, and then I, I think back to my, my grandfather, right? So like a generation or two really separates me from that proximity to food. So my grandfather, when he grew up, his family processed thousands of chickens a week in Newark, New Jersey. So they were like a chicken family. Yeah. And so he would, he tell stories of, you know, working since he was eight years old, uh, you know, helping a uh, a rabbi like sharpen a, a razor blade, which he used to manually kill thousands of chickens. Wow. And I'm like, whoa, I can't imagine that even today. I can't imagine that, you know, I, and I've apprenticed in a slaughtering facility there were a lot of animals in there that had been killed but i can't imagine being eight
0: right.
1: around that sure
2: we get enough weird looks from kids that are in our shop with the clear window and that's on the that's on the food end of it i mean to me that's where the, the slaughterhouse is where it, it leaves the animal and becomes food at that point and i'm now, honestly, as as I look into the pastures where we work, and I guess you guys will see it tomorrow. Like I look at that as food. Yeah, I, do. I I mean, that's why I call it a hog in a field. That's why I call it a beef in a field.
1: Really? Uh, well,
2: that's what it's there for.
1: Yeah, that's really that's really interesting because there is that distinction between like uh steer cattle and you know the end product of beef.
2: Yeah. The cattle's a bunch of beefs.
1: Cattle's a bunch of beefs. Yeah, floral. <laughs> I guess beef. it would
2: be the cows as well. That would still we call cattle.
1: I think yeah. yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of like peculiar or particular language that uh, I don't know if it like excludes people from conversations that are nuanced, but it, it makes me a little apprehensive because I know the words matter specifically when talking about food. And food systems.
2: And the and the yeah the professionals in the system are the ones that have taught me and I'm not sure I have it 100 percent right half the time but you know a bull is a a male that still has his testicles. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and then a steer would be a male that does not. Oh. Um, and then a, a cow is a, a, a female cow, the animal. Self is a cow, like a bovine. It's bovine cow. cow, and then mm-hmm. a cow is is a female that's had two or more calves, and a, and a heifer is one that has had one or zero. Ha.
0: Huh. Wow. Um, and I get
2: corrected on it, and I may I may not have that dialed in yeah. exact. Um, and then you know like it's, so like Jamie Yeager is the one that finally like kept correcting me enough. When I would say, Hey, we you know, can we get a pig? Can we talk about your pig farm? Like, Look, it's a hog. It's this is this isn't gonna be meat, like this is a hog. Yeah. It's raised for this purpose. Uh, so
1: Do you have any idea, is boar just a hog that lives in the woods?
2: A boar is a is a hog is a, a male with testicles.
1: I am raising my hands and
2: going, Oh my goodness, right now. <laughs> wow, a boar is just and then I get confused on the female. A sow is one that gives Has
0: birth,
2: right? Yeah. Or maybe they're all, all the females are sows. And then guilt, I think, is a neutered.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Food for or, We're going to have to do some Yeah, words. I should we probably know these this. answers.
1: And so that reminds me I was I lived for a split second in Austin, Texas, and I lived or I, I spent the holidays with my friend's family, and they're like, oh, that's a jackass. in in their backyard. And I go, oh, that's fun. I would have called it a donkey. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I was like, what, what? And so like a a jackass and a mule and a hiney and a donkey are somehow all cousins, but not the same. So like a jackass has a dad horse and a mom donkey and a hiney has like a mom that's the opposite, whatever the thing is the opposite. And so I think it's so funny that they're both but terms today. A, yeah, hiney, and a hiney and a jackass and an ass. Oh, no. Isn't that weird? So animals. It seems like
2: that would be something that they
1: should be teaching. Right? And I feel like it's just a known in some circles and it's a unknown. And so I think this is an interesting segue into how we all got connected um, and then potentially we can, we have a list of questions. We'll see if we follow them. We're not um, open to wherever this goes. But um, around a year and a half ago, two, almost two years ago, probably a year and a half ago, um, I was totally impressed by Sarah's depth of like true curiosity and that curiosity pulling her into at, being active in exploring and trying to understand food and working with food. Um, and I, at that time, kind of realized that I was never a Boy Scout and I always kind of wanted to be a Boy Scout but played a bunch of sports and, like, what are all these things that I'm missing? And in my kind of exploration of that, a lot of it was, like, hunting and understanding food and, like, really getting to know meat uh, because I don't see a ethical dilemma being a meat eater if you do it right and if you care. I think that there's probably some really messed up stuff going on and there's almost no argument against it in the commercial processing of millions of chickens it's, like a day.
2: It, it's safe to say that there are messed up things that happen in the system.
1: But as a as a human, I don't see there being anything wrong currently, as I understand it, eating meat.
2: Right, just not the other meat.
1: Right. And so I was like, alright, how do I figure out, how do I learn about this? And part of it led me down this, like, let me look up butcher shops in New York, let me see where I can, I tried to work at a place right down the street from us, Foster Sundry, um, ended up uh, apprenticing in a slaughter, slaughtering facility in New Jersey. Um, we were taking trips to Asheville, looking around the corner. I was like, well, what's going on in Asheville's food? I have to imagine it's good, right? This place cares about seemingly everything, and it's a bunch of Subaru drivers. So, like, <laughs> what's going on? And we found the chop shop. And so, uh, walked in, was floored by the look and the feel of the place, by the warm welcome of your, your staff. Services. Four and a half, five months ago? Four and a half months ago? Okay. Yeah. Right, we, we've yeah. only been here a, we were, a month, and it was three months or so before that?
0: Yeah. Less than five months. I think we're just, we were months. driving, happened to be driving by one day in a rental car, and Tony... Yeah, we were coming down like, from
1: the Omni Grove oh, Park. Oh, a shop shop. And I was like, that's a shop That's the place I read about. And I made the right on Chestnut, yeah. and pulled into the parking spot, and we walked in. And you happened to be leaving. Yeah, I didn't
2: realize that was your first time in the shop. First time mm-hmm. in the shop. Oh. Huh
1: but I had done a bunch of homework on the internet, uh, and so which was um it was just homework
2: yeah it was homework
1: and uh you stood out like it seemed like there was something good happening here um and I wanted to see it yeah and so uh that's kind of like how we met and it was only four or five months ago oh, now yeah, now yeah. there's a uh ton of ways that we're connected uh, you will be our first like client, right, uh, in Asheville. Exciting stuff. I've worked now at uh, the chop shop for over a month. Yeah. And I'm wondering if we were to zoom out and step back, uh, tell us about your process getting into food. I know that it wasn't, you weren't, for sure. 25 years you haven't been doing butchering. Right.
2: Uh,
1: how did it start? Like, why did you say, the next thing I'm going to do is figure out this food thing?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I've never been intimidated by it. I've been around my father's expert fisherman and, 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 um, deer hunter and my brother's excellent at waterfowl and offshore and, and our, our whole, I mean, all of my existence of growing up was hunting and fishing. I didn't, I mean, I had a bike, don't get me wrong, but I was not, I was not a stick and ball kid. We had a pond in the neighborhood my mother kept a horse like i spent half of my life in vermont with my other with my mother um and and i was never intimidated by it so i remember dad cleaning doves every labor day on the back porch with his buddies and drinking beer when i was like you said a proper boy six seven years old um and it it never it never faced me it never grossed me out i remember helping him clean deer in the garage, um, and and then other people's, and then he's he was teaching other kids, and he taught me. I cleaned my first deer, um, and we packaged it and we processed it ourselves and all that. And uh, it was never a big deal; it was just kind of what happened. Um, and then uh, as as I, as I got older, I and, and grew up and finished college, I i didn't do that as much i you know i found girls i you know went to college i listened to rock and roll music um but whenever there was an opportunity like i never shied away from doing any of that and it always just came natural uh so go hunting with a friend and he throws up when we have to cut the deer and it it didn't bother me yeah um so i got a career in um in uh in orthopedic sales so we sold hip and knee replacement and trauma items plates and screws and that stuff and a lot of that job other than growing your business as a salesperson is is to maintain and service and educate your customers um i worked at a large hospital uh wake forest university baptist in winston-salem i think at the time it was the largest in the state um and they had a full resident program and there were a lot of there were a lot of guys my age there, guys and girls um, my age that had already gone through med school, and they're in their second year residency, and, and surgery is just part of being a doctor, right? So as they go into this, they they have to practice, and they have to learn how much force it takes to tighten a screw into a broken bone, um, or how hard you have to push the saw to cut the femoral head off for a hip replacement or to drive a a literal nail into something to hold a jig. And so we could become experts in our instruments and in our, in our products and our implants. um, Other than the study of the kinematics of it, which is what orthopedics is all about is we worked on cadavers. So I spent a lot of time working on cadavers, doing what we were there to support the OR with we did not touch the live patients at all we were quiet in the back of the room we were there for any sort of assistance what size hex screwdriver goes with a three and a half millimeter you know screw for this like Mm -hmm. we were we were experts on that but during that and as we built relationships with the hospital and the residency program we worked alongside them and it was it was neat to to hear their version of it from They're dealing with something, trying to fix it, and I grew up butchering things to try to eat it, Um, and we just looked at things different. So when I had a really nice way to exit the orthopedic world, uh, I got to go do what I wanted to do, and um, during the latter parts of my year with that business, I received a, a smoker, a primo komodo xl smoker it's like a big green egg It's mm-hmm. what big green egg is big ceramic thing and my neighbor had one just like it exactly like it and he would cook pork shoulders and make barbecue about every weekend like every other late 20s early 30 something guy in suburbia um, and then i wanted to do better than he did uh so i started like i shopped at whole foods and like found better pork and then he kind of caught on to what I was doing because uh, mine was better and, and you could taste that difference you could see and taste that difference um, and and then I eventually I ended up getting this a cousin of a friend a twelve year old girl was to raise a hog for me uh, in Southern Virginia uh, she had a really interesting condition where she had a an allergy to a protein of pork so she couldn't eat pork. Um, which is weird that she's the one that raised our <laughs> yeah. dog. But um, she she did an awesome job, and, and her her father was a proper farmer, and uh, he helped us, and we talked about what feed to give this animal at what time, and, and the whole thing came around. And then we dispatched the animal uh, on the farm. Uh, we hung it from a tractor. We did not scald it. We skinned it. Um, It was like 14 degrees out when we did this, Um, and I learned a lot from him, from just his casualness of being able to do this, and um, he learned a lot from me because then all of a sudden I kind of got to work on this whole animal myself, Um, and I knew what the cuts were uh, from doing butchery as a kid, and and, and we kind of got to do the whole thing together, and my barbecue was way better than that other dude's. But then I had the whole rest of this animal, um,
1: and so you were just thinking shoulder. Let me out shoulder this guy. That's all I
2: really knew what to do with. So I, you know, I put salt on on a ham and hung it in my basement for fourteen months until it completely rotted, and then I threw it away because I didn't do my homework and I didn't I didn't make a good prosciutto, if you will. I, I didn't do it right. Um, and the bellies I took to a chef named John Bobby. And Winston-Salem, who was working at uh, Noble's um, Nobles Grill, I believe it's called Rooster's now. And I knew that he made his own stuff. And he took me into his kitchen and showed me how to cure bacon. Uh, just a chef at a restaurant in town. Uh, and it came out great, and everybody loved it. And then I started trying to find more bellies from you know different place- – Whole Foods was really my go-to – because uh, at least they had parts of animals. I don't believe they were whole animal with that one. And and I was making different bacon, and we would throw bacon parties, and I had tons of recipes, and people would come over and bring bourbon and beer, and, and I would make five, six different kinds of bacon. Um, and it, when my career kind of came to an end there, we had to decide what we wanted to do for a living. We were fortunate that we saved a lot of money. Well, no, we didn't save a lot of money. We saved a lot of our money. And we kind of had a choice of going into bike racing, which was not a great idea as like a 34-year-old amateur, um, or going into a farm and a butchery business. So we chose the latter and um, kind of snowballed from there in a really quick three and a half years.
1: Wow. So I, I to make this about us, <laughs> because I, I tend to, I think in some small way, our move from Brooklyn to Asheville is like a baby, baby, baby version of uh, wanting to own a farm and, <laughs> and a butcher shop. But it was like we want to be around farmers and butchers. And uh, it, I think it's crazy and cool and inspiring that you seem to have jumped all in on the farm butcher play. What did the last, I guess, three and a half years look like? Is it, all we see today is a gorgeous butcher chop that puts out really good looking cuts of meat.
2: Yeah, we, um, we went immediately into a partnership with a a guy outside of, between here and Charlotte, um, who had some property and was raising some hogs, um, we had this master plan. We we did not act as adults in hindsight. As Rob says, hindsight's 50-50. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we did not do the proper paperwork. We did not do our due diligence. We did not make a, uh, a business plan proper. Um, and uh, we exchanged a lot of cash amongst each other and bought a bunch of equipment and started a a really wonderful business idea without any preparation or experience or knowledge um i know i lost a bunch of money i hope that he did um i believe he's still in a similar business and it sounds like he's learned a lot and i i feel the same way um that i've gotten to where i am because of it Uh, we raised some really wonderful hogs we raised them in a really natural way uh, we just didn't have a business mind for it, so jumping in feet first was definitely the right term for it, um, and we, we paid our dues. Uh, I learned a lot from a lot of lawyers over that time that probably was cheaper than going to school to learn it.
1: An MBA, right? Yeah, like the, the, I think it was
2: cheaper. The human MBA. Um, during that time, I spent a couple of weeks up and down the East Coast Um kind of driving around and ch- checking out the butcher shops that that you've heard of
1: I know at least one stop in your butchering was in Brooklyn right we talk about yeah that
2: all the time. totally the whole the whole search was because I signed up for a couple um like two hour classes mm-hmm. like evening classes um one in Greenwich I believe they were both in Greenwich um Connecticut yes sir. cool and uh which is where Fleischer's is now as well. Yeah, so they're in uh, Westport and Greenwich and and Brooklyn and Manhattan and they, they no longer have their upstate shop uh but they did and that was the original one in Kingston I think they say. Um but while on the way up I got to stop at a handful of other shops which was which was really amazing and I took uh I took a one-day class at Kensington quarters uh, with heather um I can't recall her last name. I believe she was one of the founders uh, with Brian Mayer um, and uh I stayed in airbnbs and i you know i I just kind of went on this little soul search thing for a week and a half couple weeks um, and left my wife and children at home. She was really excited about that um, and I had a blast and I learned a lot and i I met uh Paul at. Fleischer's and took classes from them, and then I came back through Brooklyn and stopped at the Park Slope store and met Lupin, and went to their production facility in Red Hook, which is not a not a shop, not a place you would go in and buy a steak, and kind of stuck my head in the door and was like, "Hey, I'm this guy. I think I sent you an email a couple months back." They were at the time were doing twelve week apprenticeships. And they said, Yeah, great, really nice to meet you. And Sophie Grant was the person that really took me under her wing and said, We'd love to have you. We're really booked out for, you know, the next couple of sessions. They were taken two at a time. She says probably gonna be about a year before we have another spot. But I said, Well, I'm really flexible, which is a really polite way of saying you're unemployed. And um I believe I got home on Thursday and on Monday morning i got a call and one of their students was unable to make it because of a work visa coming from another country um and they said how flexible are you and i was like yeah like you know i'm unemployed and uh so they said they'd take me in and, and i hung up and it's very expensive and uh i hung up the phone and i looked at my wife and my two-year-old and my uh six or seven-year-old at the time and was like hey i think i'm going to move to brooklyn for the holidays Uh, This was November 1st through, I stayed through February. Um, And she was so awesome. She said, well, you know, what the hell else are you going to do? So I found an Airbnb in in Red Hook and uh, moved straight up there, like within a couple days. And uh, walked into something thinking I knew what I was doing. Um, I read a couple books and saw some, like, YouTube videos and You know nothing you can teach me. I've cut I've cut a hundred deer, and walked in and just really got put on my heels by what this was all about. Um, I studied my classmate Michelle Cordero. We still stay in touch with. I talked to her a couple times a month. Um, She and I both thought we knew what we were doing, and we walked into just an amazing, pristine setting with an incredibly talented crew um they were there for the passion it wasn't there um for an art they weren't there to draw pictures and cut pretty stakes. they were there to to make money um by cutting pretty stakes and doing the right drawings that whole thing came around and that's kind of what brought me to where the way we run our shop i'm a You work there. I'm a pretty particular guy. I'm really neat. I'm very elbows in. And what Josh and Lupin and everybody up at Park Slip taught me me from a a case-setting point of view is exactly what I try to do here. Um, I want everything to look like the best steak you're ever going to buy in your life. Um, And we'll recut it, and we'll retrim it, and we'll do anything you want. But... um, just watching the way that place operated uh, is what I think set me aside from somebody that may have worked in it in a little more industrial setting. Uh, their skills, I'm sure, are much greater. Uh, where I say we did volume there at the time, we were doing 20-something hogs and 20-something beef and 20-something lamb a week, which sounds like a lot, but compared to commodity or commercial meats, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the feeling of achievement that I had my very last day of cutting a lamb, a beef, and a pork. At the time, it seemed just so amazing and how crazy and proud I was of doing that. And now it's the kind of thing that, like, that's usually done by 11 o'clock in the morning uh, before we open. Um, but we do it the same way. We just we got the experience now uh, where we can make that efficient. Um, you could put one up on a wooden block with a super handsome dude and a $100 apron and a flannel shirt and cut on it all day long. But from a business perspective, we know that the value of that is you, you need to do more than that.
0: Yeah. I think that's really an interesting point because I think so many people now kind of think Kind of look at butchery as this hipster thing, like I'm going to grow a beard and get a tattoo and go cut some meat, and and there's kind of this, I guess, label on on what it is now. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a business, so I, I find that part very important.
1: Yeah, and you know, we a couple of books. We have a whole section of like food books, and we need to organize the books so in our apartment. Uh, but a couple, and I, I see the trend that the, the next level of the hipster trend is, you know, I'm going to raise a couple of chickens and then maybe like if there's space, we're going to, we're going to, ra- we're going to have a pig or a goat. And I hear goats are crazy because they climb on everything. So you don't actually, you would start with a pig if you could. Um, <laughs> but then there is this real moment and it's in every book that talks about it, um, where you're like, Oh shit, I need to kill one of these things like what mm. is that going to be like um and so yeah no i i i'm with you i knew that i knew nothing um but i knew that a year ago it was important to me to begin to learn things and so last december i hunted for the first time um shot a shotgun my buddy's shotgun in in new jersey got all the permits and stuff we went duck hunting and it was like You know, I I knew in that moment because I I had thought about it enough. I was like, I'm either going to say, yes, this is right for me, or I need to really assess how much meat I eat. Mm -hmm. And so I went duck hunting. I personally killed two ducks. We killed four that day. Um, And then, you know, I had bought, because part of my, you know, self-education, watch YouTube videos, buy whole chickens. You no, know, that's not a whole chicken. <laughs> like, you buy a whole chicken. It's not a whole chicken. There's a lot of that work has been done for you, right? There's no neck. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no feet, right? And so this duck, I'm, I'm looking at it, uh, and I'm like, all right, it's about, you know, this is it. This is, let's see, let's see. Um, and while it was very, you know, admittedly very emotional, it wasn't scarring. It felt right. What felt wrong was that I didn't know what I was doing what felt wrong if there if at all was that you know i really only harvested the breast meat out of the ducks cuz that's what that's how my buddy processed sure. ducks and i was like well I, I i'm sure that there's i'm sure that this is okay i just would feel a lot better with myself if i had known how to keep the you know the breast skin on and 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 harvest legs from it and, or do a whole roast of the duck and somehow make this wild animal um, tender yep. so that it, it is palatable and beautiful. And so while I don't necessarily think that I, there's a version of our future where I hunt all of the meat that we eat, I knew that there was something to be said about growing a capacity or a knowledge base to be able to take cuts that other people might want to disregard, yep. um, and learn what to do with them. And so I, I try to get as close as I could to, you know, uh, the, Butchers and and processing of animals as I could, um, and things kind of evolved rapidly when I showed up in the slaughtering facility and watched You said you know we didn't scald them. I didn't know that was a part of the process with pigs. Like I had even read some books and I was like, holy moly! I what am I? <laughs> yeah. What am I doing it, here?
2: It's a lot to wrap your head around. I think that less people would eat meat if they understood it better and i don't think it's really i don't think it works out really well for everybody that the majority of that press or media out there is is in a negative light yeah um but i also think that the more people that knew about it maybe there are less animals we could raise yeah and killing you because you like you you threw the duck fat away in your skin. I know that's that's like the main reason that a lot of people ever hunted those animals was for the fat, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. And what um, and what
1: one of the like the and it's a small distinction, but I think sure less people might eat meat, full stop. But I think more people would eat less meat. Yeah. And I think that's a net positive. You, yeah. uh, you always talk about how little meat your family of four eats. Yeah. I think in the last year and a half while we eat meat regularly we we pay way more attention than we i've ever paid on where that meat's coming from like and when can we with any sense of understanding say that uh we think that this had a worthy life and a i don't know a good processing like a, the harvesting of the animal seems to be as important as
2: its life honoring i think is a good way yeah. to say it mm. um and, and you're right. I think I think if we just eat less meat, we we can reward the farmers for for doing it the hard way. Is the way I look at the price that I pay for um, the animals that we use, and and I don't I don't bat an eye if, if a farmer comes to me and, and explains to me that that this five cents a pound is going to make a difference to him, uh, because I can't look at it like we're a pretty broad business. I mean, we sell wine and and caramel sauce uh so if i can if i can suck it up and 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 deal with another five cents on a pound we're not going through we're not going through 140 pigs a week or anything like this like that just doesn't add up that much so yeah mm-hmm. i mean if that's 60 bucks it's going to make a big difference to him i'm i'm in i can do that yeah. i can tighten up on our end we all everybody can tighten up somewhere on what we do so I think if we do that, but, yeah, we eat less. I mean, so we ate with the neighbors. Imagine I get invited to a lot of people's barbecues. Uh, We had four adults, three kids. We had two pork chops, two cold-smoked pork chops. We had two links of curry sausage, and we had four boneless, skinless chicken thighs. And the rest was vegetables. For us. if you think about that, we served everybody, what is that? Four or five ounces of meat? For a guy that runs a butcher shop and makes money selling meat? Like, you know? Maybe the paradigm's going maybe the paradigm shift really is gonna lead that way, or at least the people that are involved with with our lifestyle or our preaching, if you will, maybe it will. Don't get me wrong, if somebody wants to come buy a five-pound tomahawk's take please like do it it's helping the world go around but Mm. you know somebody wanted those legs of that duck that you got rid of and somebody wants our eye of round because they they want to make their own charcuterie Uh, so there's a value for everything in it and if we go out of our way to find the people or let them know that your projects are here and we had a chef in town call me this morning asking if we had a beef bong uh because he bought a pork shoulder from us the other day and he's going to make a copa. he's working on recipes at his house for himself. It's like, yeah, man, I do have that. What a cool resource. Right? Not everything's a boneless skinless uh chicken breast.
0: Yeah. I I mean it's it's an art. It's a forgotten art and skill I think that we're now re-recognizing again um I know that coming back having lived in Italy and seeing what they do with animals they use everything i mean everything. they would sell the pig's feed and they would make sausages out of it and everything and then coming back here and being like well wh- where are all the other parts of the animals going because you just see the ribeye and the like you said That's chicken it. breast and you know That's pork it. chop um we don't really see anything else
2: The animal's being used. I mean, I don't want anybody to understand, to like Mm. ever believe that they're just cutting the loins out and throwing the rest of the animal away. It's being used. I just question if the value of it from a dollar point of view, like how how much can anybody ask for ground beef? At some point, you're going to have ground beef. You can perfectly cut every steak out of every steer. You're still going to have trim. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's so much easier from a labor perspective to just take out, the good stuff grind the rest as long as they're getting top dollar for their ground and paying that off to their employees to pay them well and paying their farm mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and paying their bills on time and doing all that i i think i hope that it still happens that way we just love being the resource that you know we got two and a half steer last week um i don't have 12 terrace majors right and I'm not going to, so. Yeah,
1: and I, I, I'd be surprised. I'd be interested to know what percentage of our listening audience even knows what a terrace major is. Like, I didn't know.
2: If they shop with us, I hope that they They've seen do. It. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's might slide into another segment, but I think of any success that we have is, one, we're terribly lucky to be in Western North Carolina – the farms and the farmers here, and I've said a hundred times, the like-minded customers that deep down do want to know, even just value the relationship with their butcher and trust him. But, you know, some of our farmers have been to our farms. Some of our customers have been to our farms. And they know Seth Church. And they know Jamie Yeager. And they went to school with them at Warren Wilson College. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, they like that. Uh, but... Nobody would ever have that conversation if it wasn't for our staff. Yeah. So our staff wants to work there. Um, it's kind of amazing. I can't think. I can't think of anything else I would be willing to let go of in my shop. That's that's the one thing I want to hang on to forever is is our staff and the attitude that's going on there.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I, I had a question, and you may have already answered this in multiple ways, but I would love kind of a more Um, succinct answer which is what's the most important thing to consider when someone is thinking about where they're going to get their meat from you know how would you what's what differentiates a butcher shop from the butcher counter at a grocery store for example
2: this is one of those things where you try to just say nice things and there are nice things to be said
1: or a thought for me is not everyone that listens is going to be in Asheville. Sure. Right? So, like, my, my parents, who, you know, are meat eaters, who my dad likes to grill. Um, but I don't think there's that, like, you get a real valuable education when, you, when you're when you the first time in uh, the chop shop butchery, um, and, and you raise your hand and say, hey, this is actually my first time in, you're going to hear a really compelling thing, and if you have any questions about the cuts, you're going to get... More than you might have bargained for on what's going on yeah. and what makes this meat worth your time. Yeah, not everyone's going to get that. So how can we be just a resource for people who are walking into butcher shops or deli counters uh, around the country?
2: I think, I think you're absolutely correct. Is that sometimes you might get a little bit more than you bargained for? I've been cut off by customers and, and just look, look, man. Let me just get in York strip. I go, yes, yes, sir, it's $28 a pound, no problem, right here. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I see, one, is more and more people coming in for their first time. So I like to think that word of mouth is helping us. Um, But our regulars and the people that I remember their first time, that was two months ago, I like seeing them coming back. Um, And I like being a part of it. And I get some arrogance from customers once they once they fall in love with us or maybe it's our staff maybe it's our product hopefully it's both is a little bit of arrogance toward they're too good for grocery stores anymore um or that guy doesn't know what he's talking about but I I don't think that the grocery store guys are getting enough credit for what they do know I just don't think anybody asks them anymore I don't I was visiting a friend in Orlando this past winter. And he wanted he wanted to go get steaks and cook his steaks for dinner. We were the guests in his home and such a nice thing. The last thing I want to do is eat a steak when I'm in Florida. Um <laughs> uh and we goes to there's a butcher shop down there that unfortunately was closed, so we went to their uh supermarket, um Publix. And uh he immediately walks up to the open cases the styrofoam trays with the saran wrap over the top and kind of start shuffling through the steaks and he's like eh, i don't really see what i was looking for I'm like what do you want he's like i just i wanted like three fillets that were all the same size because i'm terrible at cooking and i need them all to be finished at the same time I'm like cool man." I was like why don't you ask him? he said what do you mean I like, go over to the counter and ask that lady back there hey, do you have a fillet that you could cut me? And he did. And her face lit up, and she looked happy as could be. And she tied on a fresh apron and steeled her knife and did it right there in front of us and wrapped them up herself. And I could tell, I was like, man, we take that for granted. Um, and from a customer point of view, when's the last time I bought meat <laughs> over a counter? Um I loved it. I love somebody doing what I asked for him to do with a, with a particular kid. Showed it to us. How's that look? You know, it's like that's great. So I, maybe grocery stores are still doing that, and people are so used to staring at their phones and not interacting with people or their Jacksonville, Vermont butcher store whistling guy or the lady that sells the corn at WNC. You know, in the summertime, we don't know those people anymore. We can just go over and look at a cellophane wrap thing and get our stuff and leave. You might not even have to say anything to anybody. You don't even have to talk to the cashier anymore. You check yourself out. By the way, that's a ripoff. We should pay less for that. <laughs> that and they're not paying uh, income tax anymore on it either. So they're not right. really kicking back. That's a whole nother
0: podcast. <laughs> Round two. <laughs> so then mm-hmm. if I were
1: to distill what I heard is no matter where you are, it's try to communicate with the person on the other side of the counter.
2: Yeah. I think so. It's as simple as that. You buy yeah, you buy fish at Mott's channel is like you like ask the guy what what's what's great? How about that sheep's head right there? If he looks at you and shakes his head, man trust that guy. Yeah. You know, and, and, and our customers have learned to trust us. Um even the new people, they've learned you've been there for a month. Yeah, people call you by name. Do you call, do you call the guy the butcher store the at hair's Teeter by name? No. Nobody ever interacted with and him. And he
1: wears I mean. a name tag.
2: Yeah, maybe we should get
1: named. Maybe we should get a name that's tag. A great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I honestly I think that's a really um that's astute, and there's a bunch of things that I've, I've read about, you know, how, do you, how can you quickly assess a space, like you ask a certain type, you know, it's like, I have a friend who um, is really into cocktails, and one of the ways he'll test a bar is like, hey, how do you make a Negroni? And the, their choice of sweet vermouth tells him enough about, like, if he's going to go with a straight bourbon, or okay. if he might consider a cocktail, and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, a little hack that you have. Um, and so things that I've heard are like, "Hey, when do you get your deliveries?" And if this is uh, Matt Helms in the in one of the Chop Shop classes that you have, he's like, "If they say Wednesday, they don't get enough meat. <laughs> you know, like they're not doing enough volume." Uh, sure. Maybe that raises an eyebrow. Um, another thought was asking for a special cut. Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, and it's hard – it's funny to watch some new people as somebody will come in and look at the five or six Newark strips that are perfect on a nice dry piece of paper, nice bloom them, piece of kale and pepper, make it look pretty, and they'll look at them and say, those look a little old. Can I get a fresh cut? And it's, it's funny to watch the new people because they've just been – drilled all during their training like don't waste meat man like don't waste small margin business no waste no waste and they know that nobody wants to go back there and break another steer to get this guy a cut because I almost cut this morning but you know what we do every single time we try not to see him roll our eyes we go back there and we cut him a steer and uh what, what's better than that i mean that guy wanted a steak cut for him that's all he had to say yeah he had to come in and be like i would really love just a big emotional hug and let me feel like a really important customer right now, man, we do that every single time. I wish we could hand out everybody's stakes, but that's kind of a labor disaster.
1: Not efficient. Not efficient.
2: Um, and I think that's important. I mean, letting the customer know, I, I, I stopped by last night to get that meat to go to the neighbors, Stopped by, left the kids running in the car with my wife Um, and recognize a customer out on the patio and just swung like, Gary, what's up, man? How you been? Good to see you again. Is your beer cold enough? He's like, yeah, man, this is awesome. I love sitting here. And then we started talking and then my wife honked the horn in the parking lot because I just got caught up talking (laughs) with a guy. And I think that's the relationship that people want. It's what I want. Yeah, I love that. I know who pours my coffee in town. I know who brews my beer. Um, I mean, we know who makes our candles like we, I mean, it's, it's just, it's Asheville's a kind of a magical, make-believe little town that as long as everybody keeps participating in it, it's been like this for a long time and I don't see it going anywhere.
1: I, I love that. And I love, yeah. I love that for the first time we're in a position to know our farmers, Sarah and I, um, specifically tomorrow we're going to go to a farm. I yeah. think it's really exciting. Um, one of my questions that I had as, like, educational opportunity, because we had already kind of touched on it lightly, you know, uh, a heifer versus a cow. Uh, there was a lot of language around meat that, um, let's just say, can be confusing. Yeah. Um, and so I know it can be exhausting as well, but, like, what are some of the things that that are worth highlighting in your Perspective: A couple of the terms that stand out for me is the idea of like an organic stamp or okay. with chickens or or you know cows, pigs, the idea of being um pasture raised or free range, and you know how there's a little bit of a you know BS cloak around some of the words. Yeah. Which ones stand out, and which ones are worth you know just kind of putting on people's radars?
2: It goes back to why aren't we teaching our kids what the difference in a rooster and a chicken is um or a or a heifer and a and a cow or any of this um is why why is there not a note card that just explains what all of this is um and i'm again i'm not sure i have it completely right so somebody call in and tell us that i got it wrong i keep saying i oh, can't wait for so- i people, can't i you? can't
1: not yet but i can't wait for someone to be like Actually, fact checked something that you said. Great. Like that day, that happens. I know that people care. Well, at least they were listening, and they were listening. Exactly, there you go. it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> that would be a beautiful thing right. to have.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's 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 different practices. The, the organic label, I think, is probably one, maybe one of the most misleading ones. Um, but it should rest well that that at least it's that um, there was something good about that, and you're definitely on the top tier of the food. Is there better than that? Totally. Is it worth it being organic sometimes? Probably not. Um, from a meat point of view, a lot of that is what they eat. So what their, what their food is. Was that certified organic? Um, I don't think that means that they were treated well. I don't think it means that they were loved and cared for. I don't think that it means that they're, whole carcass was honored um i don't think that the people that were involved with it were paid fairly um and i don't think that it means anything about whether the farmer was getting paid fairly um we don't do that we don't i don't we don't carry a lot of organic we carry organic salmon um and that's because of what it's fed Uh, it lives in a deep deep water Farm, which is not the ones that you see on TV with the they look like the tilapia with the swimming stuff. That's are actually really well raised animals. Um, but we don't really pay anybody to tell us that our stuff's good or that it's well raised. Um, that's what my job is, um, and I'm I'm really diligent with with our beef farmer, and he raises his own corn. It's not it's not non-GMO corn, um, and and he's right next to a farm that. Raises hundreds of acres of non g m o farm he would never be able to get this approval um anyway, but it is a farmer raising his own corn, milling it himself, putting it in his own truck, driving it to his to his his final pasture or our beef is all pasture raids, which means they lived in They live in these gorgeous mountain grassy hills in Wilkes county. And then uh, through the last uh, eight to 12 weeks of their life, they're moved into another pasture that is not crowded at all and plenty of grass for them to eat. I mean, a five-acre pasture, and there's a there's a trough on the side with a roof, and the, the beef has access to that corn. Um, and that's a wonderful story. Uh, and then he picks them up in his own trailer, and he takes it to his own slaughterhouse that he owns and works in. Um, and then they they dispatch and they they dry age on site there and they have uh, since the late '60s uh, in the same facility, uh, which gives us this incredible flavor and texture. And and then he drives it in his own reefer truck to our place whole. So there's there's three people that have seen this animal. Um, and to me, that's a little that's worth more than a, paying the government to tell me that it was good. Yeah. Um, same with prime or select or choice uh, grading. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would involve another USTA employee to come in and, and hold a note card up to it and say, Yeah, that does have a lot of marbling in it, PJ. You're right. For a couple of bucks, I'll stamp that. Like I don't I don't want to involve anybody else in it. I don't I think it speaks for itself. You look at it. Could, I think you put an app on your phone that tells you how much fat content needs to be in it. So, I mean, a tight little loop to me is is more important than a stamp at this point.
0: Um, yeah. I think that makes it easier for the customer in a way because you could spend all day at the supermarket or wherever you get your meat looking at all these different labels. I mean, I, I've done it, I know, and I'm like, okay, I have no idea what... This purple label means versus this green one here. I don't know which one is more ethical or more sustainable. And so you almost just want to be like, oh, screw it. I'm not going to eat any meat because I don't know if it's good. But um, coming from a place that you know and you trust and you know the story behind is just a whole lot easier than uh, that. Why are you laughing?
1: I promised myself I wouldn't quote Tommy Boy. But the best line in the movie arguably is you can get a good look at a t-bone steak by sticking your head up a cow's ass <laughs> but it might be better to trust the butcher or something like that you know something to that effect yeah uh, and i think it. it's, i think we're that's hitting it. that yeah perfectly right now um
0: you, you pay your accountant to do your taxes for you because he knows he knows what he's doing why not pay your butcher to mm-hmm. to find good meat for yeah. you that you eat
1: and it's and it's worth paying a premium. And it's um, so. There's. There, thank you. I think that that's helpful. So I heard uh, pasture raised means lives in the in the, in, outside. the in the in yeah. the wilderness. Yeah, they're they're they're, outside <laughs> they're in the wilderness. wilderness. Yes, yeah. yeah. they are. Yeah. Versus versus some pretty not, like when you watch like you know uh, uh, some of the documentaries that are popular on on Netflix that'll turn people vegan or make start them asking some of these questions. There are some really heinous-looking um, commercial farms for ch- chickens, specifically give like me so much anxiety. Pigs, so much anxiety when you watch what what is maybe standard or commercial today. And the concept conventional, conventional That's now. the word that I'm looking for. Conventional. Um, and so that's kind of crazy. And then there's so many words that show up that you know, like so this is a free-range chicken, which I think means that there's a door. Somewhere that allows them to go outside, sure. and that door is like just about as big as a chicken. Yeah. Um, sometimes, and so that's scary and weird to me. Um, so there's just it seems like there's a lot of ways for people to get confused, um, despite wanting to do things the right way. Sure. And I think it, what I'm hearing and what I've always deferred to is like we'll talk to people, talk to people who know, because there, it seems like and this is the case in the chop shop, but it seems like if you go to a place where people care and you invite them to pull you along, they will. Yep. And um, that's better than YouTube videos for me, and that's been better than Instagram uh, yeah, so following. I feel
2: like the media's really covered. There's a lot more bad shows on Netflix about meat than there is good. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see somebody try to shine the light on maybe there's something good. Um Um, Josh Applestone's book, I imagine it's behind you somewhere, um, is, uh, was like a really, one of the first things that I ever looked at. He's a guy that started Fleischer's, one of the first things I ever looked at. Carrie Underly's book and, and, um, and, uh, Josh's book was, uh, was the first two books that I really got, um, and to me about, and, and it was, it, it just seems polite for the lack of a better word. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have the gross aspect of anything. It doesn't look like these Netflix things where they're showing people kick or the YouTube video we talked about the other day with the people kicking the, uh, the, the dairy, uh, cows and, and, and all that kind of stuff like that's just not, that's not what all the meat is. It is what of a lot of it is. There's plenty of pork being raised on second, third stories in hog houses in China that have never been on the ground. I mean, there's hogs within within 60 miles of here that are raised on concrete under a roof their whole life.
1: And I've heard some stuff about uh, they could be raised their whole life in China, fly to America or fly to uh, England, live there for a month or two, and then be considered uh, domestic
2: and yeah, local. I'm, I'm not sure the number on that, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard the same thing, even with uh, like local beef in this area. Um, Taking Midwest, you know, lot fed, um, just giant fields of dirt and concrete with troughs of corn all the way around it. And that's where they spend their whole life. That's not the wilderness. That's not, that's the, not the wilderness <laughs> that we deal with. Um, and, and then they come back to the Carolinas and spend a few weeks walking around in the grass, and then that's a grass fed. Uh, North Carolina steer Uh, I'm not sure what the rules and implications are for that I don't have that problem because I mean we we tag our own steer Uh, I go with the farmer every couple weeks and we travel around in the morning at sunrise and look for the calves that don't have ear tags in them because all of them have ear tags in them so I mean Mm -hmm. that guy was born last night uh, and then we tag that Um, I mean that's your butcher talking that's that's kind of that's a cool story to say out loud.
1: Yeah, so I'm hearing the smaller the loop, the better.
0: If you trust if the you person.
1: Can. If you can, right? Sure. Cool.
0: Yeah. I would love to know more. We talked a lot about, you know, what Chop Shop is now and what you guys do, but I would love to know more about what you are have in store in the future for Chop Shop or, you know, what, what you're hoping to do.
2: Good, good question. Um we feel like we grew very quickly. Um, I think with any business that's becoming a bit stagnant, which is about where we were, um, honestly just tired. Uh, the the employees, uh, Matt and I specifically were just kind of tired and needed something needed to change. We needed some sort of investment. We needed some sort of different light or a story or is one, the kind of thing a magazine article was going to help. Um, So it was our announcement when we purchased the place uh, from the previous owners who I spoke with this morning. I see them all the time, Um, and he's just so delighted, and just, what'd you guys do? And I think it was just the buzz and the energy of something different. Um, I was working as the butcher for a year and a half there before we bought it, two years maybe, and... I saw these things that I wanted to do, but it wasn't my business. Um, and I'm polite, and I'm used to working for a bazillion dollar company, so you didn't you didn't overstep your your bounds. And then all of a sudden, this was this was my project. This was our project. So like, I painted the bathroom, man. I took it upon myself. I didn't have to go ask anybody for paint. I went and bought the damn paint myself, and painted it myself, and fixed this and changed that and Switched to farm out like immediately, like as soon as I was the person buying it, like I went to somebody that I honestly just got along with better um, um, and we and we made our changes and we, and we asked our customers because now all of a sudden they they knew us as the shop owners on the corner in their neighborhood and their butcher and and they started seeing my kids run around the shop, and my wife in the office um we kind of grew up a little bit on ourselves and felt like, you know, maybe we are part of the community and we will meet customers out for a drink or join them for dinner and go to their homes now. Um, and I think it encouraged us and it snowballed from there. We got their feedback. Why don't you guys do sandwiches? It's like, I don't, I don't want to run a sandwich shop, you know? And eventually it's like, let's try to run s- sandwiches. Like, don't tell anybody. Let's just have a couple sandwiches. So when Jim walks down in between cases, like cool, we got a sandwich. And now we're serving twenty-four sandwiches on a Tuesday, and it's like to the point where we had to buy more equipment and a new, and and might have to hire more people. And it's growing at a wonderful rate. So that's how we have changed it since we took it. Right. Um, We're. Very tight on the way we run our business. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm very neat and organized, and I, I think that lends itself to success on such a short shelf life, fresh item. Um, so our inventory is very tight and proper, and our staff is very well trained. So it's given me a chance to get out and talk to people. I mean, Matt and I spent all day on Friday talking to restaurateurs and bumping into chefs and meeting bar owners that want to throw a party in August, and they want us to be a part of it. And, oh, man, do you know this guy that used to work there? And we ran into somebody that did used to work there all in a day. And at the end of the day, I got three or four emails for people wanting to know how can we collaborate, what can we do next. Um, so being out in public helps a lot, and uh, we, th- we think that our next step is um, uh, to continue our delivery service to Charlotte. Uh, Which we've finally decided to, since I now have some help with our media and things like that, is uh, is is we're going to do that every week now. So uh, we're going to take it to Charlotte. We do a drop-off cooler service uh, for people that we know, Um, and uh, we leave a Yeti cooler on their back porch and take the one that they left for us. Um, We're taking them food every week now, and uh, I would imagine that a shop in Charlotte is in the near future um we work so close with our farms and purveyors that we know that they're able to keep up with growth as long as it comes at a reasonable curve and um again it all comes down to the staff the fact that i'm going to be able to leave the shop and Mm -hmm. go open somewhere else means means everything's starting to run in a good way
0: yeah that's great that's awesome and if there's something that uh, we as Antonia and I or the audience could help you with, uh, what would that ask be?
1: So just for a, a little uh, air filler while you continue to think, yeah. this is one of our kind of pre-site questions. We, we like to say magic wand. So if there was yeah. like a thing mm-hmm. that we could do and just like. Well, we're working with you, right, so that we're going we're going to be slowly grinding and, and making things right better but what thing would you ask the universe for? Is it finding a location in charlotte is it um do you know anyone that writes for Bon Appetit like stuff like that' so yeah. a magic wand thing
2: yeah i mean i i've never really wanted to be famous I wanted to be successful um i don't i don't necessarily want a picture of me um standing somewhere in in my shop with a cool wood floor and tile or tan tile walls and tin ceiling like i have that um and i'd rather people go see it themselves i mean our place is romantic it's beautiful this shop's not going anywhere this lease is forever um our next place may not look like that um but back to what you said earlier you know the handsome Cool Cat with the beard and the flannel, um, like that does sell. And that that did shine the light on butchery. Mm -hmm. Um, And it did get more people shopping in smaller butcher shops, whether it's Greenville, South Carolina, or I mean, there's 90,000 people that live in this town. How in the world is this project working? This doesn't make sense. Um, I know it did in the neighborhoods where you were in, New York, you were near Foster Sundry, right? So I, I got to go visit there and got to meet Caro when she was there. And, like, yeah. just, I mean, just rock star, awesome, beautiful, everything. And their neighbors fully support them. It's a little different here. You have a Whole Foods, a Trader Joe's, and a Here's Teeter Less about 600 yards from here. Um, so you have a choice of where you're going to buy your stuff. And um, it doesn't have to be from us. It doesn't have to be from... You know, as long as you're stepping away and not supporting the commodity meat market, if I was going to wave one wand for the whole industry, is get away from that. To help us, yeah, show us any support in any town. Talk to me about real estate and what we're trying to do. Yeah, I'd love to hear of anybody's ideas. We have customers in Charlotte that we deliver to that are pointing addresses to me. And every time I'm in Charlotte, I go look at them and decide if that's where we need to be. You can't be in a neighborhood that eats boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Mm. It doesn't work. That's not going to work. Like-minded people, people that want, are willing to spend the money to have well-paid butchers and staff to pay your farm well. To, I promise that every grocery store sells meat cheaper than we do, and it's always going to be that way. Yeah. So either eat good meat or just don't eat meat. Like let's just stop that whole, let's just stop that cycle every chance we can. I mean, I don't eat Wendy's anymore. Yeah, I did uh, up until a couple months ago. Honestly, man. I mean, sometimes you're, sometimes you're on the road. Sometimes you gotta eat something. And I'm to the point now where I'm just don't. I can't. I can't support it. I can't. I can't do our business and support it that way. We don't. I haven't bought meat other than outside of a butcher shop in three and a half years.
1: I think for me, uh, A, I think it's a really good ask. B, I think that I'm with you. There's like a cognitive dissonance where I wish that I could separate some of the things that I've read and seen from my, you know, hunger. <laughs> and I, and it, it's almost like I can't. Um, you know, the idea that there are some places that tell me that were mechanically extracted off of bone yeah with a like centrifuge thing that rips the be like that's n- that doesn't s- i've never seen it but i know that because that exists i can't e- eat eat when these uh with sound mind and feeling like i am who i say i
2: am right i mean i when when i go to restaurants in town if, if, of course i eat meat. yeah um it's pretty rare i order a steak to be honest with you um but the beautiful thing about this town is, is you, you might know the farmer where that pork came from, anyway. Right. You know, it may not be my farm. I may have chosen what I think is the best farm, but that chef may have chosen what he thinks is the best farm. Or maybe he likes, maybe the price works better for them that they can pass some of their mm-hmm. savings on buying a little less product. Maybe it was in Tennessee and not North Carolina. So he's still in this realm of local. He's not buying blindly from. A box truck, yeah, U.S. food or whatever, right? Maybe, maybe there's a, a bit of a story. It may not be what we, what we do or what we, what we believe our farms to be, but you know, if, if I see an H and G logo on something in town, I'll eat that. Jamie's Agar involved with that, I'm I'm into that for mm-hmm. sure. If it just says two all, all beef ground patties, I'm out. Yeah, like I just don't. It, it's not the Portlandia episode to me. Like <laughs> I don't, is, you know what I mean. I don't episode. need
1: Colin. Yeah. What is yeah. his name? What was the chicken's it, name? Do you yeah, have the chicken's Colin. name? Oh, we're gonna go visit the farm real quick and just <laughs> right. find out the chicken's it, name.
2: It's not that to me. Um, I don't. I don't want to be that guy in town. Uh, I really don't at all. Um, mm. I just. I'll eat a salad. It's cool. I probably need a salad. I eat a hell of a lot of on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that's honestly
1: that's a, a decent segue. One of so we're in now. Not necessarily a speed round, but the questions that just sort of always show up, True. which is um, imagine you have friends, family, cousins, whatever coming in from out of town. It's their first time in Asheville, and yes, everyone's different, and yes, this is totally subjective. But where might you give them an itinerary for a couple of days? Um, clearly, you're going to say stop by the shop shop and at least get a sandwich because now that's a possibility. I don't think there were sandwiches when we came to visit at the time. It was five no, months ago, four I think months ago. you
2: just renovated and put in those seats. By the time you came around, right? Yeah,
1: and there was the shop looked the same as to me, right? So I we it didn't looked the same, get, but not we,
2: the kitchen. Yeah, we had to, we had to, we had to change the kitchen. You might not even have been in the back. Yeah, we weren't in that. Um,
1: but we're yeah. What would a shop
2: get? shop would be on the list? Um. You guys, you could get picked out that you haven't been here long because you call the Omni Grove Park in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's just the Grove the Park. Grove Park. <laughs> you can call it that from now on. Um Noted. nothing, nothing against Omni. <laughs> uh that was our private uh group up there for a while. And the way mm-hmm. I understand it, uh four seasons is the one that lost the bit of them. So Uh-oh. there's a couple of neighbors that have shared that possible rumor secret with me and and then our question is always like i wonder what that would have been like mm. if it had been a four seasons mm. um but that place is amazing uh, we live right in the neighborhood to it so we mm-hmm. we, we cruise over there and have cocktails uh, after dinner with and let the kids run around uh, off, It's the playground to us um billmore estate is absolutely worth going to without a doubt uh, we live here um and we have season passes because whenever people come into town, we we know that we're going to take them there. So it saves us a lot of money by going there five, six times in the summer.
0: Right.
2: Yeah.
1: That's exciting. It's been about 50-50. Like we've heard a lot of people say you have to do the season pass or the year pass, the local pass. And then some people are like, mm, we, we actually have never been. Um, we went when we visited. Unbelievable.
2: Unbelievable. 175,000 square foot house. I mean, I just want to go walk by it. That's worth admission. Um, But if you're entertaining guests that are in town, that's something that you can do, and it'll just save you money instead of you paying every time you go in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much hiking around here that it's hard to send people because you don't want to name your little spot. Um, And and the the favorite spots are the favorite spots and it's so close to town i mean we were we we drove on the parkway within eight miles of here um this morning and we were not the first people on the trail by any means Um, we had to go to the second parking spot but the little pull-offs around here anywhere on the parkway anytime you can get to it uh you guys did a 13 hour break a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. right man as far as like 13 minutes just to get out of town, you can go up there. You don't know, hear a car. You might not see a person. Um, even my five-year-old noticed there's no trash here, Dad. The whole time. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Parkway somewhere you got to go. The French Broad, maybe not after like a rain because uh, of the because he gets sick. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, that's a crazy, accessible, wonderful place that. Uh, Sharon and I will drop the kids off at school on a Monday, go canoe for one hour. Um, put the bow back on her car, go eat lunch, probably hit a brewery cause we're in Asheville. Um, go pick up my car and be back in time to pick them up from school. Um, that's pretty amazing. There's not a lot of cities that you can go canoeing, uh, w- while you're at work. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of my favorites. Is, were you thinking restaurants or just like
1: spots to see? Sure. I mean, even breweries for like, I know we went last night to Zillicoa. You put that on my map. you were the first person to say Zillicoa. Yeah. Um, um, yeah.
2: Zillicoa is it. top of my list now. Well, living in North Asheville, that's definitely our, our go-to. We, uh, Asheville kind of reminds me of the way Brooklyn was is that nobody left their neighborhood. Um, my friends in Park Slope, like if I wanted to hang out with them. I went there. Yeah. Then I had to figure out how to get a green point because that's, you know, that's where John was. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody came to Red Hook.
1: <laughs> we would have. If we had known you, we, we love Red Hook uh, Winery and uh, Hometown Barbecue, which absolutely went to the neighbor.
2: I miss so many of those places. Grindhouse Burgers. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Fort Defiance.
2: For defiance that 's where we got where we got our bacon jam recipe, me and I love this place um but they uh nobody nobody in Asheville goes nobody none of my neighbors go downtown um unless like we 're going downtown for a particular reason, but we don 't we don 't go down there to walk around right. uh it 's just parking's hard and and we just let the let the people who don 't get to experience it on on a Wednesday let them kind of have that space then we're we're fortunate Mm -hmm. that we don't have to go down there on saturday zillicoa absolutely the taco joint behind it is oftentimes the reason i go there we just had it
0: we just had it last night it was so good you get the
2: lingua i got the cheek yeah uh tongue
0: no, we, cheek, I
2: wanted the tongue. I did, tongue. We didn't do too. it. I did the beef cheek. Yeah, that's so, the yeah. one I love. Yeah, Munoz. The real Munoz is over on Patton. Mm-hmm. And if you guys haven't been there, you ought to go check it out. they got a it's whole a, market. There's
1: a 100% chance it's going to happen it's after Los tacos last night.
2: And um, one of the chefs in town was saying that there's a whole secret menu that the locals and the, you know, the Latinos or Mexicans know that. You know, me pulling up there, I might not know that there's a menu, but apparently there's a whole bunch of food up there other than what's listed. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling brave, ask them to cook something special. I will. Um, I asked last night.
1: I was like, "How do you say this? Yeah. Beef cheek?" And they're like, "Cabeza." And I was like, "Oh, yeah. I would have not guessed." I think that means head. That means head to me. Yeah. So, but yeah, that makes sense. Beef head. Okay. And then
2: the um, and then a uh, uh, burial. Uh, mm. I think they just celebrated their sixth uh, anniversary, which is amazing. Um, and the food truck has gone through a change recently. Um, Brian Canapelli from Cucina 24 took it over and, uh, they're open nice, consistent hours and it's absolutely delicious. And, uh, again, you're never going to see me there on a Friday or Saturday. You just Mm. won't. I'm never going to go to a beer release. I know somebody that works there. I'll get my, I'll get my special beer, uh, but that place on a Wednesday night, yeah
0: yeah see
2: people you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's that's another thing i like about the town is when you do get out in town and and, and you see you see ellie and moss at the bar you're like cool man like this is one of the biggest stars in town or you uh we go we ate dinner at we ate dinner at table one night and uh my wife and i and ran into um katie and felix from downtown and and all these people that, like, who I've looked up to and just been starstruck by in this city, like, I mean, at the same place they are, which means maybe I found the good places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Like, you get ice cream, and you kind of look over, and you're like, cool, that guy's on city council. Like, right on. I'm part yeah. of this city. Yeah. Because um, people here do um support it. Mm-hmm. They really, really do.
0: Yeah, we've definitely found that to be true. We've made more friends here. We keep saying we've made more friends, and... In a month than um, than we ever did when we lived in Brooklyn.
2: Yeah. Tony, the other morning, we were speaking with the owner of Waterbird, who came right to him, Mm -hmm. and he's like, cool, yeah, I I love this. I come here. I'm I'm getting to know you guys, and uh, the bartender was like, yeah, that's right. You were walking to work the other day, and I waved you out the window, and I was like, now do you feel like you live here, man? Like...
1: I literally cool. ran home after the shift and told Sarah about it. I was like, yeah,
2: we've made it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> have it does. It's yeah. so,
1: it's, it, that yeah. was, that was a huge moment in, in the first month for us. It does. It's, for it's me.
2: a small, beautiful town. North Asheville is a small, beautiful place. I have yeah. no intention to leaving North Asheville. Yeah. Cool.
0: Nice. Well, is there anything that you think that we missed in this podcast? Something that you would have liked to have said that you didn't get a chance to say?
2: Um, without my wife um being involved with the administration of any of this business matt and i calculated that we would have gone completely bankrupt in 18 hours um <laughs> with what we had we had the most uh, we had the biggest plans and shooting for the sky and just kind of riding this this high wave of wow it's our own business we can do whatever we want um and Sharon didn't know the difference in a ribeye in a New York, and could care less when we started mm-hmm. any of this project. And now she critiques other places' beef, um, <laughs> and and asks for a Denver cut uh, because because she don't want to she wants it cooked a little bit more. So she knows that that mm-hmm. one needs to go to about medium, and the Bivets needs to be medium rare. So uh, having her be a part of it is is goes back to the people, but. Without all, all of the people that we have in place right now, we would have been closed a long time ago.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, and so we'll do all of the how do we connect with you online. It's primarily Chop Chop Butchery.
2: ChopShopButchery.com. Uh, the website will be going through a change here in the next couple of weeks. Um, our Instagram handle is at Butchery. And our Facebook is the Chop Shop Butchery, I think. Whichever one has posts on it. Somebody didn't let go of the old one when we bought the shop. He wouldn't give me the password, so we, we kind of had to move on. His has three pictures on it. Ours has a couple thousand. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we have links. There's also
0: like a Chop Shop Barber Shop. Right? There's a Chop Shop can Barber Shop.
2: <laughs> have you taken any of those phone calls yet? No, not yet. You will. Uh, hey, can you guys cut my six-year-old's hair at about 3 o'clock this afternoon? our typical answer is is like we'd love to um i'm just not sure we're going to do a great job we're a butcher shop yeah
1: we use we use butcher chef's knives not yeah. scissors there's an <laughs>
2: auto repair store in town called the chop shop as well so uh we have people calling in saying they got a 78 olds that they need a little body work on again we tell them we're happy to give it a shot
1: <laughs> uh, again we use butcher knives not screwdrivers and there's a chop
2: house uh which is a restaurant in the bottom of a hotel uh, so we did not take reservations. Please don't contact us about reservations. Um, I think that's about...
1: There's a chop shop something in in Atlanta. Yeah, there's
2: a chop shop, uh, butcher shop of... I think they're part of another kind of Pine Street market, I believe. Um, we've had some people roll into town visiting from Atlanta to pick up their stuff that they had ordered, um, and I guess they thought that it was the same place. Uh, We were happy to be able to get them exactly what they were looking for. So (laughs) uh, we are not not at ATL. We are in (laughs) AVL.
1: It's the details. (laughs) It's the details. Those little details matter. Um, Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that.
2: It's just such a long story that, like, I don't. Killing and eating fish and deer and rabbits and ducks, like, I, for some reason, that doesn't harken back. I don't have that, I don't have that, like, like, Sean Brock has this crazy connection with his grandmother cooking and doing things a particular mm-hmm. way with particular ingredients. Um, I don't – yes, we butchered his children, and I, it never crossed my mind. And to this day, it's mm-hmm. not like I'm – you know, my dad's really old right now. I was very fortunate and shot the deer of maybe my lifetime two years ago when my dad was still able to get in the woods and he cleaned it with me. Um, and like he stood back and was like, damn, it's really cool to watch a butcher do this because it was just, it's easy. And it's not, I mean, we can, we can talk while we're doing it now. It used to be this big Mm. intense thing. It would be intense for me. Matt and I can just like drop right through it right now. I mean, we can process the whole thing in minutes because Mm -hmm. it's not, we do it every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was neat to hear my dad say that. And that was probably the first time that I've thought about how my childhood might somewhat be related to here.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: but it's not like the next time I got in the cut room and somebody had a lamb on the table, I wasn't like, Oh, I remember the first time my godfather cut a goat in his backyard. Like, you know, I don't, maybe it's there and I don't feel it. But the story of. Growing pigs, getting screwed out of money, cooking in my backyard, trying to figure out where the better one is, ending up with the rest of the animal, what the hell am I going to do with this belly? Um, My understanding of anatomy and orthopedics and cutting on humans, like, I think all of that really does end up in what every day is. Like, we have a 99 health score because I worked in an operating room. Yeah. Right? I never worked in a kitchen. Right. Even when I go in some of the cleanest of kitchens in town, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with your kitchen? Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, we have a 98. Like, that's great. And I'm like, God, yeah. what are we? We can literally eat off of our floor. Not all the time. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's, it, I think that has a lot to do with it. And people see that. People clean. I Googled what is the first thing that customers see when they judge a restaurant when we started selling food. Because I didn't want it to be, do they have cloth napkins? And I skipped that Google answer number one or whatever. The number one thing that came up on almost every site was the curb. So every single morning, i go out and sweep the curb. I'm like the old man in the apron sweeping the curb in front of his shop
1: and fuss or something. I literally yeah. saw you outside yesterday morning sweeping the curb. Yeah. And, and then you uh, you picked up a... Leaf blower, which I thought was probably yeah. Well, say, that's work smarter, not harder. the
2: street, I wish they would treat so that tree. So here, here's um, a
1: here's a question that I, I yeah. remembered thinking I wanted to ask. If someone, let's just say, would just recently watched a documentary or had one of those like oh my goodness moments around food, specifically meat, um, where might you point them either for resources or for experience uh, to to get? closer to their meat to begin maybe it's not butchery but like i think about stuff and i think about like information so it's like do you need a boning knife at home if you want to start like breaking down whole chickens or uh should you absolutely get these three books and just like read them and do all the recipes what is a good uh intro
2: i as far as meat goes your local shop even if you don't have a local shop and you have a, a food line in your town um or like a carniceria, um, go start the conversation with them. Uh, or or go, to the, go to the guy behind the hair's teeter counter. Ask him where his abuse from. I don't know where the hell it's from. He might know. It may come from a very legitimate place. It's kind of unlikely, um, looking at their yeah. pricing. Um, somebody's getting screwed, right. right? Whether it's the farmer or the animal or the butcher or the truck driver, somebody's getting screwed on that price um that would be that would be my first place to go for it. I think that this renaissance of farmers' markets um and 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 craft crafting or or artisanal or any of these things that we 're doing it ourselves again, I think that has helped shine the light on any education of things that are that are starting to change, like I said, my wife knows who made our hand towel in our kitchen she met her yesterday at the Asheville farmer's market and came home with a 20 something dollar hand towel for a guy that has a linen service it's weird for me to pay for hand towels um and i just absolutely loved the idea that she was willing to have a conversation with this lady and it's like oh you actually like weave this she's like yeah, i have a loom you know And my 10 year old's like what's a loom right and went through the whole thing like so I'm not a hippie farmer's market. Like I, I'm probably not who was who normally around that scene. Um, but if I didn't have a brick and mortar, I would be there in a heartbeat. Uh, there's a reason we don't do farmer's markets ever uh, is because we feel that we're fortunate enough and so entertained by our direct to consumer over the counter relationship that the, folks that are either up and coming or falling in love with butchery or starting their farm and they had it processed and packaged and now they want to they want to reap the benefits of raising this animal like i don't want to step on their toes um i feel like that that's kind of a playing field that, that we would just allow to leave open you know farmer's market learn where your honey came from what kind of mm-hmm. plants are around your bees i've never learned so much about honey in my life like locust is blooming this year because of a particular weather pattern, and this is a really sought-after honey that doesn't happen all the time. Mm. How would you know that without talking to, right? Or sticking your head in a screen all day.
1: I, I feel like we're, we're going back to a, a theme is just talk to, talk to people. If you want to learn more, if you care, talk to people. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I I caught a theme. You can get a good look at a T-bone steak.
2: <laughs> With sticking your head up a butcher's ass <laughs> no wait, wait, wait the <laughs> it's gotta be your beef <laughs> that
1: is that is the scene so he tries to use it in a sales conversation he's selling uh, car parts brake brake pads or something yeah. and he says you know and he just messes it up the first four times Then finally it's his stride at the end of the movie it's a great it's a pivotal moment in this movie it's him finally saying the saying right so good um Awesome. Sarah, you feel good? Is it like 4 p.m. right now? How long have we been doing this? Yeah, I
0: don't know. It's uh, 3.10. Cool. Yeah.
1: Oof. That was an episode. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for letting me. All right. That was episode number nine with PJ Jackson.
0: If you want to learn more about what we talked about in this episode, uh, you can see all the links below in our show notes page. Uh, You can find more information about the Chop Shop Butchery, uh, as well as any of the places that PJ mentioned in the episode.
1: Also, we're currently looking ahead to season two of Making It in Asheville. So if you or someone you know would be interested in being a guest on the show, please feel free to nominate yourself or them by visiting com slash podcast.
0: And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please like, subscribe, and review. The easiest way that you can do that is through iTunes directly. Um, it helps... Uh, keep this podcast going. It helps others uh, find this podcast, uh, and it also really means a lot to us.
1: And uh, just to let you see around the bend, we have a couple podcasts already in the uh, oven oven preheating, uh, and those podcasts are going to be with, you know, graphic design, branding experts, concierge services, and, uh, you know, cake makers. So we're doing uh, a bunch of, I think, really interesting conversations. We're trying to Go wide and broad and deep in these conversations. And if you find them helpful, valuable, or interesting, uh, you know, please let us know. DM us on Instagram. Uh, reach out on Facebook. But until episode 10, take care of yourself. Be good to people. Sarah, we did it. High five.